Business Youth Side. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. Warning: In this conversation, there are unbeep curse words. Listener discretion is advised. Bling Empire, a new reality show premiere on Netflix. Just as we are about to celebrate the Lunar New Year of the Ox, the show follows the lives of a group of rich Asian friends, and has garnered attention from celebrities like Chrissy Teigen. Inspired by the success of Kevin Kwan's Crazy Rich Asians, the reality show rocketed to popularity, trending globally on Netflix within the first week of its premiere. With a diverse cast of wealthy Asians and unexpected heartwarming storylines, the success of the show is surely something to celebrate. In contrast to all the bling, Kevin Crider's role in the show brings depth and a relatable perspective to a cast of lives of opulence. Kevin Crider is a model, motivational speaker, and an advocate for healthy lifestyles and for Asian perspectives in media. Born in Korea and adopted at age of three to a Caucasian family in Philadelphia, he's had a unique journey as an Asian American. Reality TV is ever present in our culture, and has developed its own connotations, often negative. Many reality shows have introduced the audience to a minority culture group or different lifestyle, which is positive aspect of what they offer. My own foray into reality TV at times was very challenging, but if these shows can use their platform to celebrate diversity and culture, I can recognize their value. How are you, Kevin? I'm awesome, man. Thanks for having me here. You know, I gotta be honest. When I first heard about this show airing, I was little trepidations. I was a little concerned. I was like, "Wow, we are going to put the crazy rich Asians in a reality show format, and for people to get to know our people." And I say our people, I mean like people who are rich, not my people, <laughs> not me. But it was definitely a a point I had to really think about whether or not this reality show would. Would resonate with me, and also would empower the Asian community. And I gotta say, there's a lot of heart, and there's a lot of moments in there that that's quite warming and beautiful, and in story building. So I I'm proud that you have put that out there for the audience. Yeah, uh, definitely. What you said about the Crazy Rich Asians theme, and that it'd be like, oh, not another one, especially when another Rich Asian TV show came out before.、Uh, we kind of knew about the House of Hoes when we were shooting, but. I think what really made this one so different is、uh, just having the point of view through me going into this world and also representing people who aren't crazy rich. Because if you actually follow the storyline of the show, it's actually really not about crazy rich Asians. It's just in the lives of it. But it's like we get so deep into family and friends and identity and insecurities and relationships. So I think it's so much more. That what people think, and、uh, one of my producers said it's like we attract them with the bling, and then with the stories we keep them,、uh, and I totally believe that. I love the fact that bling can bring people in because you know whatever way that I feel can put Asian representation on television, that we can be recognized more and、cool. celebrate each other. It's a must, and it,、yeah. it's an incredible journey. You have been working as an advocate for the Asian community. 
for many, many years and you are a health advocate and the show is giving you a new platform. But before the show, you have already established yourself in the social media realm and in TED Talks talking about positivity being an Asian man. And there was a documentary that you are part of called The Ugly Model. What sparked you to be part of that show and what does it mean to you? So The Ugly Model came out uh, because I was talking about Asian masculinity, uh, emasculation of Asians, and just not seeing any Asian men, especially, that I could identify with growing up. Because, you know, we'd always see the same stereotypical Asians, like, right, Mr. Miyagi, barely speak English, and just the karate person, and just, like, everybody dies in The Last Samurai. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that person. So then I literally talked about this with Jeremy Lin. He's this basketball player that did Lin Sanity back then. And I asked him a question at the basketball game. Have you ever come across a stereotype that Asian men aren't sexy? And then he went right into this whole new uh, dialogue that we just didn't hear as Asian men. And so I literally just said, okay, now the world is ready to hear this message. Uh, that led me into like doing a TED talk that also led me into producers looking at my life and saying, hey, look, let's do a documentary on this. We know you're kind of still figuring things out, but the fact that you can speak about Asian masculinity and stereotypes and wanting to be white growing up, let's just do something like this. And so that documentary got filmed uh, about a year before I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, and it was great, great experience. But now we're currently actually looking for distribution for the film so it can be more wide audience and not just people through like my social media and stuff. I, I'd love it to be on a streaming platform for people to see. Well, it's such a poignant subject matter, isn't it? It's something that, that we see so much solidarity happen in our culture mm -hmm. with Black Lives Matters. And, and for me in particular, when Black Lives Matters movement happened, I, it was a learning experience for me because as a person of color category, as an Asian American first generation, I struggled to find my place. Yeah. Not that I didn't celebrate my black community, not that I didn't celebrate my brothers and sisters in the black community, the people I work with, but I didn't know where I stood as a person. Because like you, I grew up in a culture where Asians, we, we don't prioritize ourselves right. as Asian people. We prioritize ourselves as working hard. Uh, really good at math, all the stereotype, right? We're going to be the doctor, no lawyers. And those are the things that kind of always been the, the roof over my head. I never lift that roof and think about what does it mean to be a person of color and yeah. what are the struggles I had. And I know in the beginning, I would complain too. I would say, we need more Asian representations. We need more Asian in the government offices. And then I realized through these conversations, like having conversations with people like you, is that I wasn't doing my part. Right. And I'm one of the few privileged people who have been exposed to television in America and have shows in Asia and whatnot. But I didn't realize that I'm the few small percentage of people who are privileged. Okay, we, uh, we understand we're privileged in a certain sense, right? But, I mean, everybody has privileges in certain ways. Whether you use it to your fullest or not, that's your choice. Uh, and I think that's where Asians have this weird thing where, uh-oh, Another model minority, we're going to be seen as all wealthy. That's not true. I'm in it. We're not going to be all seen wealthy. And it's like literally, I think what's great is I get to be the voice of the average person showing how ridiculous this is. But at the same time, having fun with it. And then also pulling emotions and storyline with these people that I get to be around and show that, okay, look, they have a lot of money. 
but they're Asian American, they're American, they're people. They have these stories that aren't just relatable to just being Asian. And I had this discussion with somebody else, right? Like, here's the thing. What role models did you have growing up? Other than Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, there's nobody Which, else that we could look at. By the way, I wasn't very flattered when somebody said, you, you look like Jackie Chan. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not flattered by that at all. Uh, I, I, to me, that's not a compliment. Um, and so then when people call me Bruce Lee, it's just like that I realized they were calling every Asian guy Bruce Lee. We have these certain role models that aren't super flattering, but they're also used to degrade us more than anything. Because it wasn't like, hey, you know what? You really do look like Bruce Lee. It was like, you look like Bruce Lee. What the? And then like they would do all this shit. It's like, yo, dude, bro, I would never do that to you being of a different race and start mocking your race. Like, that's just not cool. Uh, and so like there is racism towards Asians from other races. And the thing is, though, that's what I mean. Like, there's a privilege in that, right? But nobody's talking about it because they're like, oh, well, we have it worse than Asians. It's okay. It's okay, too. So I say there's always going to be worse. Like, even with racism towards uh, min all minority groups, you can always point to who has it worse, right? We're not trying to win the Olympics of oppression here. Like, there's no such thing. It's just that we're all just trying to get better and become more aware of like, hey, look, this isn't right either. We should try to work on stuff. Every Asian American experience is different. For many of us growing up as first generation, there's a need to reconcile all traditions and upbringings with the culture of this country that we have chosen. Asian American role models have been hard to find in media. This is why it's crucial to continue telling these stories, to dispel the stereotypes, and allow our true identity to emerge. You know, you grew up in Philadelphia, and, and one of the storylines that you are American, Asian, Asian American, and you're adopted into a German-Irish family. And when I heard that, it was so intriguing for me because I'm first generation. I grew up in Terry Hill, Indiana. And I have to say, through that journey and adolescence, I didn't recognize being Asian, good or bad. I didn't have a good or bad experience other than I was oblivious to my own culture. I just wanted to learn English. I want to get good at what I do and get ahead because that's what was in my, that's what is in my DNA today still, right? So when you're growing up, raised by a Caucasian family, when did you begin to identify yourself as Asian or how did other people around you start identifying you and remind you that you're different than them? I mean, I was definitely reminded I was different really early on, probably around four. When I was four, I just was around lots of white people and just always pointed out that I was different. But I would say that I never really identified as Asian because I never wanted to be. Because I saw how white people treated me and thought of Asians, actually. Because, like, I was, like, the honorary Asian because I had my last name cried or, like, my parents or what. So let me tell you what we really think. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you don't really count. But yet, I was treated like such. Uh, and I think a lot of people don't realize it's like I did have a little bit of extra edge because I was taller. I was modeling for a little bit. But even then, there's, like, this glass ceiling. And I started to really identify being more Asian when I started hanging out in Asia and being like, oh, wow. Like, this is where I come from. These people are really awesome. I can be myself around people. Like, I don't have to pretend to be anybody, which is like what I was doing when I was with white people. I had to pretend I was somebody else. 
So that's what really made me identify as Asian American, probably I'd say in my late late twenties. And that that's inherently true with so many of us that who are first generation Americans with different people I've talked to. I think it comes with maturity and with confidence we build over time because inherently we have inherited bias based on experience and the history where people have perpetrated on us growing up, right? Unlike you, I am not tall <laughs> and I don't have fair skin. And so it was really easy for me to be able to hide myself and say I'm Latin. I can cut all into the Latin community. My high school was predominantly Latin people, but that didn't last very long when my last name is Sai. I guess I should have changed it to Lopez or another popular Latin name to blend in. But I remember there were a period of time that I just, you know, I went by American name. I went by the name Daniel. And people asked me what, what my background is. I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm Hispanic mix. I would just drop the Asian part of it. And in yeah. fact, I'm I'm Taiwanese and Chinese and and but it did take a long time to be able to say, this is a benefit. Yeah. Right? And when do we begin to realize it's beneficial to be different? And that's a journey we're still on because even now, today, when I turn on television. Thank God for streaming networks like Netflix and other networks that you can look for people that look like you and resemble yeah. you culturally or sexually or religiously. So you can find that common bond because let's just say five years ago, we didn't have that. So when you didn't have these role models to look after, what inspired you and gave you the strength to be the person that able to motivate others? Well, I think that's, that comes from the way I was brought up. Uh, growing up in a Catholic setting for school, that is. My family wasn't really religious growing up. But also going to uh, high school, leadership was often kind of a big deal for us. It's like, be a leader. That was always installed in me since I was a kid. Uh, you know, also good grades, obviously, but leadership was really the, the strength that I was taught through, not just sports, but also, I guess that's a white person, like, thing that would kind of happen. I don't hear many Asian families saying, don't worry about grades, be a leader, like be strong and just have a purpose and stuff. I don't hear that very often. So I think that was a very Americanized perspective that I have growing up. And I think that's what makes it a little bit different. Like, because a lot of people say, I'm sure you hear this, like just talking to you, you're probably not Asian enough for a lot of people. But I also say it's like, you know, maybe like, why do you always have to be Asian and why does it have to be American? Why can't it be both? Like I'm not somebody who you can just pigeonhole into one category. Like I got out of the pigeonhole of being the Asian guy, but not to fall into your version of what you want to see me be. So I think there's this thing where a lot of people, I think it's a very Asian thing. We want to be safe face and we want to be seen as like pristine and like, don't cause trouble. It's very inauthentic, by the way, which isn't real. And so I think what's happening now is we have this voice and platform now for people, but they only want to see the polished stuff. And it's like, that's not true. That's not authentic. That's kind of what kind of got us in trouble to begin with. It's because we were trying not to rock the boat. We were trying to seem like where we can do no wrong and all that kind of stuff, or we don't have temperaments or any type of emotion would just stoic. Like, sorry, but that's not real life and that's not human. So unless you want to be stereotyped as a robot, which I don't, I'm going to just be myself. And so I just think that the Asian community has this thing of trying to force that on to other Asians. Because, oh, I'm insecure and you're making me look bad. 
It's like, no, I'm making me look bad if I have anything, not you. Uh, so, but it's like, I get it. It's like people are like, oh, that's representing me. But it's also because we don't have many people to represent. Whether you're brought up by Asian parents, you have Asian blood that runs through you. Part of that DNA with thousands of years of, of, of who you are, it, it isn't you. Talking about culture, talking about stereotypes, talking about how we are different. And what unites us are conversations that Asians and other minority groups need to have both within our own diaspora and with other ethnicities. It's only by opening up that we can start to make change in the world, but also in starting to understand our own blind spots and identities. Now more than ever, I think we have to address things that are uncomfortable to the point that it's comfortable talking about them. So in many ways, that's what Bling Empire is. You yeah. are bringing up the, one of the most uncomfortable conversation in Asian culture. We don't talk about how much money we have or don't have. Now, some might flaunt them in right. their own ways, right. but it's just not a conversation, right? Right. And these conversations are very uncomfortable for Asians, but I think that's what makes this so different. It's breaking cultural and color barriers, which is so different. A lot of movies that we want to see as Asians. I want to see somebody who's an immigrant trying to make it in America because that's my story. Well, guess what? It does well in the Asian community, but it doesn't break barriers to try to change people's perspectives about Asians. So, for instance, everybody's like, well, in America, let's just talk about what's happening now with the coronavirus, right? There's a big uproar of people of Asians getting attacked and seen as foreigners and stuff like that. Well... I hate to sound like this. They see us as foreigners because we kind of like put ourselves out there like that too. And it's like uh, good media and attention here in this show, we're coming as as Asian Americans living American and human problems more than anything. I just say American because we're all, most of us are Americans except for Kane, but we're, we're struggling through real problems. We're not struggling through like immigration or trying to find like a family or like speak a different language barrier. Like we're not doing that or like even racism, but these are current stories that show us as like real people, despite being Asian. And I just think we need more of those too. I'm not saying get rid of the immigration stories, not saying get rid of martial arts stories. We just need more of these to show like, okay, we celebrate both, but here's the thing. We are human beings with real stories that are real stories, just like Americans, of family, identity, loss, everything. But for some reason, Asians are still afraid to show that. Well, you guys are brave enough to do it. And from the cast of characters, from Kelly to Christine to, yeah. to Kang and to Anna, which I think Anna and I will be best friends <laughs> if I ever meet her. You know, I, I fell in love with these yeah. characters. Each one of them, you're absolutely right. I went in to watch a show with the perception that I am not going to like it. I'll be honest. I don't you know what I mean? you for thinking that either. I too was on a reality TV show in America. I am in front of camera all the time. And I know what it means to be represented and, and, and what it means to have a reality show representation versus who you are, right? So I went in with prejudice and bias. I went in going, oh, great. I saw Crazy Rich Asian. I think it's fun. I don't think it's representation of my demographic, who I am and my culture, but great. Americans loved it and enjoyed it. Good, we have representation. I was a little concerned because I was worried about a reality show with the word reality, telling people this is who we are. 
Right. And and I want to say now I was wrong because I got to see the show in a different perspective where I know that each one of you bring a sector of story, a many little stories connecting to this, this empire that you guys are all together. And I saw true friendship and I saw, I saw drama, of course. I mean, without yeah. drama, who's going to watch? That's the hook, right? <laughs> That's the hook. So I want to talk about the friendship on the show. Um, how did you come to meet this cast? Yeah, so firstly, uh, I don't blame you for being prejudiced towards this show. I mean, especially for the economic time we have. Like, that is something that I was trying to share with everybody. It's like, dude, go beyond the bling because there's so much there. It's not just the spending and the caddy fights uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's like fun. And it's, it's, it's crying. Like, I've never heard so many people say they cried so much during a show that really hit them. So uh, I met this cast, though, during the pre-pandemic, obviously. It was a good time. Uh, Crazy Rich Asians came out, and it was a beautiful time. I was planning on moving to L.A., but I didn't know what to do with my life. Philly was getting a little stale. Modeling was getting stale. I wasn't booking much work anymore. And tell you the truth, it just didn't seem to fit what I wanted to do. And uh, one of my videos uh, about Asian masculinity came out on Huffington Post. And Kelly reached out and just said, hey, look, if you're ever in L.A., love to get together. And I was like, man, that's my sign. I got I to gotta move. Because like, I, I was thinking about going to L.A. And if L.A. didn't work out, then I'd go to Asia. Because I have friends in Asia. And then I got there and she's like, you know what? I want you to meet my friend Kane. He knows everybody. Trust me, he's the only person you'll ever need to know in LA. I meet Kane. He's wearing the most ridiculous red ruby shoes. And I'm like, this, this is the person? <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to meet your friends anymore, Kelly. But we connected so deeply in so many different ways. Of like, He wasn't actually super wealthy in the sense like, yes, his family comes from wealth. But he doesn't have it, and he's working his way like with business and relationships to try to make it on his own. I was like, oh, I can relate to that. Kim was like the next person, and then it just kept going on. Well, Andrew, too, because I met Andrew shortly after uh, Kelly. But it's just unreal how it just snowballed into this uh, mesh of friends. And shortly after, they were like, I think you should be on our show that we're going to create. And um, it's going to be like just a lot of wealthy Asians, but we need a little bit more layers and we think because you fit the project because it's like you're very well spoken they said uh we just need you to be like that on camera i was like good i mean i can do that um and here i am like basically just getting involved in a project with some people that i was able to make friends with for a year before we started shooting can i tell you i can see that generosity in there because you know from someone coming from television productions and shows a lot of time that you you know the relationship are manufactured. You know that these are storyboard producers that are like coming up with this an authentic story, trying to make it authentic on film. And film don't lie. We can see through it. And I can see that friendship between you and Kane. And, and yes, for those of you guys who have not seen the show, there are definitely moments of your relationship with Kane and, and the love for Kim. It was an incredible journey. And it was so beautiful. And yes, there are definitely tear shed moments. But most importantly for that moment for me was watching you growing through that moment. Uh, Even the story yeah. I was telling him, it was so much about you, about you being adopted, about you finding who you are through this journey. How did that change you? First of all, I think what made this really special, and I think you can see with how I acted on, uh, on camera, is that they let me actually just be me. 
they let me live out my life how I wanted to, which was, I think, so different than probably what a lot of reality people experience in, my, in their lives. But I think what really made this so special is the fact that like, I could just go into a situation and just do it. And there's cameras around, obviously, but it's just like I, I literally everything was so real to me that it just came across, I think. Um, and then I think the relationships that developed and blossomed, it got stronger when we were doing this show. Like it was already pretty strong, but it's like it was really strong afterwards because we just we just went through so much, man. It really felt like I lived a lifetime just in that couple months of shooting. It's just insane. Uh, so I think a lot of people can see that kind of stuff. I don't know if I answered your question. What was it again? <laughs> I wanted to know that journey where you were going through helping Kim uh, right. process. How did that reflect on your own journey being adopted? There's definitely this correlation, right? And so, I mean, I remember, uh, I remember the producer saying, like, you guys are going through similar journeys. I think I want you to discover that for yourself. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, no big deal. Uh, and it really crossed paths. And I was like, holy shit, we have so much in common. And I think it was the moment of that therapy session where the regression therapy that went into this weird, deep trance. It was crazy. That really made me like closer. I was like, dude, uh, Kim, I don't know what this is, but I feel like we're like kindred spirits a little bit. And this is what I kind of have to do. I know our friendship might get fucked up forever, but I have to do this. And so from that moment on, I, I just felt like so connected to her journey and my journey. I'm not trying to talk about religion or God or stuff like that or the universe, but people always say like, you know, God has a plan for you. Well, fuck, I felt like God was around then. Or if I didn't believe in God, this did make me believe in it. Because like, you can't plan this stuff out. There's no words. People call it coincidence, but I mean, there's just too many of these coincidences to say like, oh, this was like manipulated or formed. It was like, everything was just like, you can't plan that shit, you know? This production actually filmed about a year and a half or two years ago. Yeah, And yeah. how has the friendship <clears throat> developed or blossomed or has it worsened? Yeah. No, it's blossomed. Film? I would say it's blossomed in a sense. Cause like we, uh, I probably talked to her probably more than Kane now. Um, I don't hang out with her as much as Kane, but like I talk to her, like we text, we call. Uh, I think during her mourning period when she found out the loss, uh, I think that uh, was kind of really a good place for me to be with her just as a friend. How is your relationship with others on the show? Great. I mean, I'm still friends with everybody, so I can't really say like this show's been a detriment to my friendships with anybody. Bling Empire now has a huge audience. And I wonder what effect this exposure to the segment of Asian experience will bring. What do you hope that people get out of the show? Even though it's a reality show, how do you see that, that the show itself, the people that are on the show are now exposing themselves into being so wealthy? How can they contribute to a positive? Uh, I think that's up to them. Uh, I don't think we have the responsibility as people to tell people how to spend their money. Uh, I think everybody has to kind of realize it. It's like, you know, or their platform, right? Because it's like, people keep telling me, it's like, well, 
why do you keep talking about this dumb shit? Like, why don't you go back to talking about more meaningful stuff? And I was like, you know what? I did a long time ago, but nobody liked anything. And then it's like, well, now I'm on this show and I have a voice and stuff. And it's talking about Asian identity, but in a different way. But it's not going so forefront with it, you know? And it's just like, it's it's changing. Um, and I think it's not our responsibility to tell them what to do with it. Because uh, it, if you, as a viewer, want that, then go do it. Like, for instance, 10 years ago, I wanted to be seen different as an Asian man and change masculinity. I did not expect other people to do it for me. I went out and just did it because that's what I really believed in. So I think a lot of people want to judge us and say, this is what you should be doing. And there's a saying, like, you should all over yourself, right? You're just going to get pissed off and annoyed. But you can't do that with them. They're going to spend the money in the platform however they want. Like, if they want to use their fame to get Gucci bags and shit like that and then resell it and then donate to, like, children in need, go for it. I don't mind. But my thing is, though, there is this idea that rich people should do things with their money. I do believe there can be greed, obviously. But there's also a balance of, like, you do do a lot of good in the world, too. So I think there's a little bit of balance, and I think people should just see that. Look, some of these people joined the show so they could increase the platform for certain ways. Kane did it because he wanted to extend Buddhism more and for people to get healed and find his journey because, you know, he was in a bad place and then he found Buddhism. So people don't see that in this cast. And I think they need to look for that because we are doing it. But if I'm only just doing it for something like Buddhism, you guys are all going to get bored of hearing that same shit. Like, I'm not a Buddhist teacher. I'm not trying to be one. Plus, by the way, I'm going to be broke if that's my whole thing all the time. I'm on here talking, and that's my platform to be able to speak about Asian masculinity and changing the stereotypes and narrative of Asian men. That was always my purpose to begin with, even before being on this show. So I think that is something that people, I hope, see for me at least. People have different things, like like I said, Kane for Buddhism, uh, and he wants to help his family business as well you know uh and so i think that's something very honorable for him too he just does it in a little bit different way well before entering the reality television world <clears throat> what's the biggest surprise for you through this process well, i think the biggest surprise was like how authentic it was like for instance I, I i always saw like oh well you know they're gonna make you look like a piece of shit like you know you better be careful i just trusted the process the showrunner's half Asian, and he just said to me, the reason why I wanted you on this is because you believe in this so much. So be yourself. This is your chance. And I trusted him. Here I am. He didn't manipulate anything to try to make me look like a total douche. Although, you know, I have douchebag moments, but who doesn't, right? <laughs> I'm being serious. Like, I'm not going to kill somebody because, like, oh, I, you have a douchey moment. You look stupid. We all have that. So if you don't, you're a liar. It's just, we all have that and I don't mind showing it. So I just think that he let me be authentic more than anything. He let me be myself that Asian men aren't seen to have. Well, that's a message that you've been championing. I think you're absolutely right with the platform. Netflix have given you such a great platform now to be able to continue that messaging. I assume that is your goal, that you want to continue your message, activism and your health. I think this can be the new standard for reality shows. I wasn't a big reality person because I was like, it just doesn't appeal to me. Like it doesn't seem like real touching stories of the human heart. 
And the fact that Netflix took a chance to make it that way, instead of doing the normal formula of getting drunk, beating each other up and cheating on each other, doing all this shit, right? That's like, that people just want to hate. Like, I think that was super courageous of them to show a story like this uh, and to change even the narrative of uh, reality TV because, like, people don't see me, like, it's weird. It's, like, the first time this world seeing me as just an attractive guy that's, like, fun and, like, I, he's got a good heart instead of just saying, oh, he's an Asian guy. Oh, he's hot for an Asian guy. Like, it's the first time in, the, in, in my life. And then, you know, people who are from all races, sexes, and all of that stuff, genders, bisexual, whatever, are just like, man, that's a beautiful story. Like, I loved what you did. Like, you know, you're, you're attractive from the inside out. Like, that to me is a great compliment. It's so amazing. And so that's why I think this show is so special because, like, take away Asian, and it's still a great show. I want you to give me one word description of each of the cast members sure. right off the bat. King. Excessive. Kelly. Sexy. Anna. Boss. Totally. Christine? Bitchin'. I think she's a badass, to tell you the truth. She, I just like her attitude and everything. Kim Lee. Oh, she's like a vixen. Totally. <laughs> Sherry? Oh, sweet. Uh, uh, sweet emojis. But she, I think she has a lot of power she hasn't shown yet to me. No, exactly. Jamie? Flat. Really? Yeah, I just think she's a little flat. I love her from the fashion world that I've been in. I've been following her. But um, and she, I think she might have moments in the future coming up. Guy? Oh, sexual. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they gave Guy enough camera time, just so <clears throat> you know. I think... <laughs> We need a little bit more guy in the show. A little bit of balance of diversity and sexuality. And, you know, I'm all for that. Andrew. Andrew. Ooh, sensitive. sensitive. Really? Very sensitive. Wow, that's the last description I would think of Andrew. He's still a friend of mine. And if you saw that in me five years ago, ten years ago, I have that in me. Like, I have that anger and that abandonment, too. I know where it comes from. And... Uh, it's very sensitive. And so I, I, I feel for him, you know, and I just think that's something that uh, I hope other people can see that, you know, he's showing that sensitive side that other people are too afraid to. Thank you, Kevin, for offering insight into your life and the world of Bling Empire. Congratulations to your success, and I'm looking forward to the next season. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Faces. I'm your host, Usai. Our director, Louis Jaime, and writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swernjen. 